You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week number five of a six-week series called Ephesians, where we are going chapter by chapter through one specific book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians, that can be found in the New Testament. And this week we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start by reading uh, just seven verses, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And today, if you are taking notes, which I hope you are, I really believe that today is going to help some people. Um, I, I really am excited to share what God told me to say today. And so if you're taking notes, I want to share a message I've entitled, Out with the Old and In with the New. Out with the Old and In with the New. Now, when we're looking at these seven verses, it's important to remember that Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter, and it's a letter from the Apostle Paul, who actually wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. So in these seven verses, guys, we cannot forget that he's talking, the audience that he's talking to is a church. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to followers of Jesus. And in these seven verses, Paul makes two things crystal clear. First, he says, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life should not look like the world around you. He makes that crystal clear in these seven verses. He says, if you're a Christian, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you've said yes to grace, if you've said yes to Jesus, your life, it should not look like the world that is around you. It should be different. And the Bible actually talks a lot about something that it often calls the world. And whenever you read this, I think it's really important to understand what it's talking about. And here's a great definition of the world from John Mark Comer. And he says this, the world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. That's the world. And the Bible also talks a lot about the type of relationship that you and I should have with the world. Let me just show you a few of the verses that are in the Bible that talks about what our relationship should be with the world. Romans chapter 12, 
verse 2, it says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. When you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. James 4.4 doesn't sugarcoat a thing and says this, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And then Jesus himself says this in John 15 verse 19, it says, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. And in Ephesians chapter four, Paul makes it crystal clear that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to grace, that your life should not look like the world around you. It should be different. You shouldn't fit in. You should stand out. And then he also makes one other thing crystal clear in those seven verses. He says, number two, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be a brand new person. Not only should you not fit in with the world that is around you, but that you should be a brand new person. We see this in verse 24, and I love what, what, the, what the living Bible, the translation says, yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. Clothe yourself with this new nature. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, listen to this. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ, if you said yes to Jesus, has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. In other words, out with the old and in with the new. And Jesus even says this in John chapter 3, verse 3, which actually sets up the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16. Here's what he says before he says that. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, that unless you become a brand new person that you cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, this is so important. Being a Christian is not about being nice. Let me say it again. Being a Christian is not about being nice. Being a Christian is about being new. So being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, isn't about this behavior modification where you're just nice all the time and you always have a smile on your face and you kind of tweak some morality and some ethics that you have. That's not what the word of God says. It's not that you should just be nice. The word of God says, no, you should be a brand new person. So in these seven verses, let me put a bow on this and just say, here's what Paul is saying. That if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life shouldn't look like the world around you. It should look different because you are a brand new person. And then Paul, for the next 27 verses, which we're about to read, Paul tells us what that should actually look like. He gives two lists. And on one side of the list is what you should do. And then on the other side is what you shouldn't do. And I just want to warn you before I read these verses. These are some of the most confrontational verses in the entire Bible. These 27 verses, I promise you, at least one of them, one phrase in one of them, 
Something in these 27 verses is going to get all up in your business. It's going to step on your toes. It may highlight some things in your life that don't line up to that. And by the way, it won't even care. It's just like, here's what it is. And so just so you know, before I read any of them, this is the word of God. These are some of the most confrontational, confronting, verse challenging verses that I've ever read. And here's what the word of God says, starting in Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 25. I'm gonna read it. I may pause every now and then, but here's what it says. He says, okay, so remember, your life should not look like the world around you and you should be a brand new person. Here's what it looks like. Verse 25, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. By the way, Let's notice that it doesn't say, like, it doesn't say do not sin by getting angry. Like, anger is not a sin. Uh, Anger is an emotion that God literally put on the inside of you. And it doesn't say that being angry is a sin. It says what we do when we are angry can be a sin. Because anger is not a sin. And then he goes on to say, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal with it quickly. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And by the way, no verse has impacted my day-to-day life more than that verse, Ephesians 4.29. It has impacted me more than any other verse in the entire Bible, so much so that I've been so bad at it in my life that I had to memorize it. I memorized it in NIV because here's what it says. It says it's so strong. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And, but I'm like, but what about jokes? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. That my words, our words, should build each other up. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Meaning the words that I speak, they should even be selfless. The words that I speak should be more about you than it is about me. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Here's what that means. That means if Noah and I were having a conversation and you happen to hear this conversation, it should benefit your life. And he says, that is what your everyday, all the time words should be. Pretty challenging. Ephesians 4.29. Then he goes on to say in verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Uh, Another translation says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, 
Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, which is hard in and of itself. And then he throws in this last phrase, forgive just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Then he raises the stake in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, by just saying this little simple phrase, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Then he says, let there be no sexual immorality. In the NIV, it translates this as like, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Talking about anything outside of God's plan for sexuality, one man, one woman in marriage for life. He says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, they, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once, you were full of darkness, but now, remember, you're a new person. You have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about these things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, awake, wake up, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, But live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything. To God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 27 verses where Paul gives this massive list of do's and don'ts. And he's saying this is what it actually looks like to not look like the world. That this is what it looks like to be a brand new person. On one side, there's the things that you shouldn't do. It's the out with the old. And then on the other side, it's all the things that you should do. It wasn't just a list of things you shouldn't do. He also said, here's the things that you should do. Here are the things that out with the old, and then here's the in with the new. And by the way, let me just make this clear. These lists have nothing to do with salvation. Like Paul is not saying, here's all the things that you have to do to make sure that you're right with God. Here's the things that you have to do to earn salvation and to earn grace. Because he makes it crystal clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says this in just two chapters early. He says, no, 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 God saved you, not by your behavior, but by his grace. 
when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God that salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so none of us can boast about it. In other words, that we are only saved by grace through faith, period. Listen, grace cannot be earned. It can only be received. But he is saying that once you have received grace, once you have experienced the grace of Jesus, that then this is what your life should actually look like. Like it should affect how you live your life. That listen church, that your whole life should be a response to the grace that you have experienced. So in these 27 verses where Paul is giving these lists, he's saying like this is what it looks like for your life to be a response to grace. This is what it looks like to not look like the world. This is what it looks like to be a brand new person. But here's my question, but what do we do, especially if you are here and you call yourself a Christian? You say, I am a follower of Jesus, but what do we do when our lives don't look like that? What do we do when we look up there and we're like, oh, I'm not getting that right at all. What do we do when our lives don't look like that? Because let's be honest, how many of you, just by show of hands, you struggle with at least one thing on that list? Come on, raise it up high. Just be, okay, that's me. Yeah, all of us do. I do as well. There's things up there that I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting that right. And the, let me ask a bigger question. I think this is even a bigger question that we have to wrestle with today is, can our lives ever look like that? Like, is that even possible? Is this just an uphill losing battle? Like, can we ever, and here's why it's so important that we wrestle with this question, because if we don't think this is possible, we'll eventually give up. Like, eventually we'll stop trying. Eventually, we'll get to the point where it's like, I've tried the Christian thing, and it just doesn't work. And I think one of the biggest lies of the devil is tricking us to think that once we give our lives to Jesus, that our lives will automatically look like this. That literally, that whenever we give our life to Jesus, this will be what our life looks like before, a lot of stuff on there, but then all of a sudden, we'll never struggle with that stuff, and our lives will only look like that side. Like that somehow we won't struggle with the same things after Jesus that we did before Jesus. And that's just not how it works. Like, listen, I made the decision to follow Jesus, to give my life to Jesus on June 25th, 1999. Now, before June 25th, 1999, some of the things on that list were my biggest struggles. And then after June 25th, 1999, guess what? The same things were my biggest struggles. Before I got saved, my anger was out of control. After I got saved, guess what? My anger was still out of control. Before I got saved, I was awful with my words. I was constantly tearing other people down. I grew up in locker rooms. I had the locker room culture in my words all the time, constantly tearing people down, making fun of everything and everybody. And then after I got saved, guess what? I was still awful with my words. Before I got saved, I struggled with sexual immorality, doing things outside of God's plan, including looking at pornography. 
And then after I got saved, I still struggled with sexual immorality. I still struggled with doing things outside of God's plan. I still found myself looking at pornography. But I thought that after I gave my life to Jesus, after I got saved, that I wouldn't struggle anymore with the same things. That God would just instantly take all those things away, that all those desires would just go, that I would be different right away. But truthfully, it felt like nothing had changed. It felt like, yes, I had now received Jesus, but the same struggles, the same problems were still the same struggles and the same problems, except now I just felt awful. Except now I just felt so much guilt and shame because now I was a Christian. And now I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be living my life that way. And so all of a sudden, that's what my life was like. And maybe you have experienced the same exact thing. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe you have gotten saved and you thought that you would just somehow instantly change, that you wouldn't have the same desires, that you wouldn't have the same temptations, that you wouldn't have the same struggles. But truthfully, it feels like nothing has changed. Your life and your struggles are the exact same after Jesus as they were before Jesus. Like you were bitter and unforgiving before Jesus, and now you're still bitter and unforgiving. You were negative before, and now you're still negative. You loved to gossip before, and now you still love to gossip. You were owned by porn before, and now you're still owned by by porn. You got drunk before, and now you're still getting drunk. You told little white lies to make yourself look better before, and now you're still telling little white lies. And you were addicted to that destructive habit before, and now you're still addicted, except now... You just feel awful. You live your life every single day carrying tremendous guilt and shame. And the only reason why is because you gave your life to Jesus. But it feels like nothing has changed. Listen, if that's you, I literally, I dedicate, I've been thinking about you all week. I've been praying for you all week and I dedicate this message to you. It is on my heart so much to help you. Because if you find yourself struggling with the same things over and over and over again and not changing and on the verge of giving up, just let me help you. Let me help you just for a moment. If that's you, here's the best thing that I would say. If you and I were having coffee and we got to just share honestly about where we're at at, and that's what you shared to me, this is what I would tell you. I would tell you that, guys, you need, it is so important that you have to understand the difference between salvation and sanctification. These are two very important churchy theological words that I think that we've got to wrap our minds around today because salvation, I think we've got that one. It is the moment that you say yes to Jesus. It's when you get saved. It's when you receive the free gift of grace. That's salvation. But sanctification, that's totally different. It is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the slow, ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus that is so worth it because it produces real lasting change. And by the way, this process, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, it will last the rest of your life. 
you will never reach full sanctification this side of heaven. And so you may be asking, well, what is the point? Why is it worth it? Why is it worth even putting myself through the process of that if I'll never actually do it? Well, here's why I believe that it's so worth it. Because in John 10, 10, Jesus talks about this more and better life. And we talk about this a lot at our church. We talk about this more and better life that he came to bring. And can we put that verse up there, John 10, 10? I wanna make sure they see this. This more and better life. And so we talk about this verse a lot. And here's what I believe with all my heart. The process of sanctification is the more and better life that Jesus talks about. Like the, the process of becoming more and more like him. That maybe we'll never get there, but I'm telling you, the, the even just, just inch by inch, getting there closer and closer, growing just a little bit more and more, Jesus says, oh, that is the best life that you can ever possibly live here on planet Earth. Better than anything else, better than any relationship, better than any job, better than, better than any amount of money that you can have in your bank account. I'm telling you, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, if you allow him to, that process of sanctification, that is the more and better life that Jesus talks about. So the question is, how do we practically experience that process? How can you and I today walk out of this place and say, you know what? I'm into the process of sanctification. How, 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 how? Let me just share this and then we'll, then we'll leave. Is that the key to sanctification is putting yourself in the right position. That's the key. That if you wanna experience sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, the key is putting yourself in the right position. I am a big believer in controlling what you can control. I don't wanna spend one second or one ounce of energy on things that I can't control. So I'm always trying to think through what are the things I can control, what are the things I can't control. And I want to exclusively focus on the things that I can't control. By the way, I personally believe that 98% of the anxiety that we experience is trying to control the things that we cannot control. Every time you try to control the things you can't control, it will spiral in your mind to anxiety because you're trying to grab the wind. Can't do it. You can't control it. So every time you try, that's when anxiety floods your life. And here's what is so important when it comes to this whole idea of putting yourself in the right position in sanctification. Listen, oh, this is so important. You can't control your pace. You can only control your position. That's the only thing that you can control in this process. Because I know, I know, we live in a world that wants to get that right here, right now. We live in a world that, that literally trains us. You can stream it. You can get it right now. You can make it happen right away. And anytime we gotta wait, we don't like it. But this process, listen, you can't control your pace. You can only control your position. Let me say it this way. You can't control the speed of your sanctification. You can't control how fast or how slow that process goes. But you can control consistently putting yourself in the position to experience sanctification. Listen, you cannot control how fast you change, but you can put yourself in the right position to change. So 
You want to know what my logical question is? What is the right position? And here's the right position. This is the right position. This is the position of sanctification. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. By the way, this is Paul. And he writes this to a church in Rome. And he says, oh, therefore, I urge you. And as your pastor, I am urging you to put this verse into practice. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus has already done for us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the posture. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love what the NLT says. The NLT says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. By the way, the only way to, that that is the only way to change your life. Like the only way to change your life is that you have to change the way you think because real change happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. And this is what he says. He says, then after you experience that, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me say Romans 12, one and two a different way. He's saying every single day, make the decision to die to yourself. Every single day, die to your ways, your agenda, your plans, your preferences, your natural leans, your desires, your appetites, your normal ways of coping, your opinions, your comfort, to die to being in control, to die to being the one that always has to be in charge. And the best way that I know how to do this is Romans chapter 12, to offer my life, my body, my whole life, every single day, often multiple times a day as a living sacrifice. And by the way, I think that language is so brilliant. I think that language is very intentional by Paul here. He says, you're not a dead sacrifice, you're an alive sacrifice. And here's what that means. When you're alive, you choose to get up on that altar. And then you choose if you stay up on that altar. Like nobody's tying you down. Nobody's making you do that. That's not our God. Our God doesn't say, you have to follow me today. He says, I want you to want to follow me today. And he says, you're you're alive. You choose today to be a living sacrifice. You get to crawl up on that altar and then you get to choose to stay up on there, which means you can choose to get off. But the more that we do that, the more we become more and more like Jesus, slowly but surely, the more that I'm transformed into a new person by changing the way I think. Listen, church, do not underestimate the power of making that decision every single day. Eugene Peterson, he calls this a long obedience in the same direction. And trust me, the more you offer yourself as a living sacrifice every single day, the more that you put yourself in that position to change, the more you crawl up on that altar each and every day, the more that you submit every single area of your life 
through the process of sanctification, the more you will experience real, lasting change. Now, next Sunday will be 24 years since I've made the decision to follow Jesus. It'll also be the 250th week of our church, by the way. Still undefeated. Come on. And um, it'll be 24 years since I made the decision to follow Jesus. Let me just tell you, after 24 years, by the grace of God, I stand before you as someone who has experienced real, lasting change. I've experienced the process of sanctification. Now, it wasn't overnight. It was over time. And some, but some of the things I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with anymore. God has radically changed me from the inside out. He's changed me by the way I think. I'm by no means perfect. But I'm just telling you, the person that I was 24 years ago, I'm not the same person. Like I've gotten way better at controlling my anger. I've gotten way better at not letting any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. I've experienced very real freedom from sexual immorality. I haven't looked at pornography in over a decade. But listen, I still have a long way to go. There's still new areas that I need to grow in. It's, I feel like it's like whack-a-mole, man. That list, like I work on that, pop, something else pops up. Okay, got to work on that. Then I got to work on that. I still have a long way to go. There's still new areas that I need to grow in. But thank God that I'm not where I was. And listen, I don't, please hear my heart. I don't tell you that to brag. I don't tell you that to celebrate myself or look like a hero or act like I'm perfect and act like I still don't need Jesus. That is not true at all. I'm not here to pridefully puff myself up. Like I know, I am well aware that I'm one bad decision from being right back there. I only tell you that for one reason and that is to encourage you. Because if I've experienced that, I promise you, you can too. So if you're still struggling with the same things over and over again, if you're still in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, if you're still changing, if you're still growing, let me encourage you, don't give up, don't quit. Keep putting yourself in the right position to grow. Keep offering yourself every single day as a living sacrifice, sometimes multiple times a day. Maybe you gotta do it 20 times a day, but keep doing it. Let me encourage you with this, and then we're gonna respond today. Galatians 6, 9, I wanna encourage you with this. If you're in that spot, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing. And here's the key. If we don't give up. Church, if we don't quit, we will. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.